Cheers to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. We hit a square, Adam. We hit a square on our last dice roll. I believe that was your dice roll, so this is your fault. I feel like all the bad things that happen on the uh, game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets are my fault. I feel like they're my roles. Really? You know, for a... A fan community so interested in doing statistical analysis of our shows that no one, I'm grateful for this, no one <laughs> is trying to to send us the metrics on whose fault things are. Yeah. Uh, because I think that would be hurtful. I think I think that would drive a wedge between us, right? I will occasionally click on a tweet or a Reddit thing or something and find somebody saying something about Adam's the funny one or you know, Ben's the better impressionist or something like that. That's mean. The internet makes it so easy to just say whatever you want without thinking about it. You you just don't know. You don't know how things are going to come across. I try very hard not to look at any of that stuff, but trust me, I have no self-control. I look. So assume whatever you're writing, I'm going to see it for better or worse. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to go back through my Reddit posts and my tweets now. <laughs> yeah, you you spend a lot of time using your tweets to drag me, King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so my bad dice roll has meant that we landed on a measure of a man episode. And brings a sense of order and stability to my universe to know that you're still a pompous ass. Courtroom is a crucible, and if we burn away irrelevances until we're left with a fewer product, the truth. When people of good conscience have an honest dispute, we must still sometimes resort to this kind of adversarial system. Hopefully we can make some good law out here. And for good measure, sit on this. It's one of the classic Game of Buttholes squares. It's where we flip a coin before we do the show to decide which side of the uh it's sort of like count pointer count from the kentucky fried movie it's the classic debate show where where you take one side and i take the other it's the episode that's in honor of philippa louvois who asked one member of the tng crew to argue the pro and the other to argue the con that's right like any big game, we have a we have a special coin to flip to determine who will be taking the the pro and who will be taking the con side as we discuss this episode. And for that, Ben, I've got our uh, our most our most recent greatest gen c- challenge coin. It's the friend of Desoto, fan of special conscience coin. Uh, it's I think it's it's one of our best pieces of work here. Adam, do you? Uh... Do you have a, like a slip of paper or something? Because I thought it might be fun for us before we flip the coin to write the the side we would prefer to to be on down, like fold it up, hide it, and then at the end of the episode reveal whether we got what we wanted or not. It's a great idea. I've got a notepad right here. 
Okay, great. So we're writing down pro or con, or just did you like or did you not like? I'm saying like in your heart, what what do you ho- hope the coin tells you to do? Because it's going to tell one of us to argue that's vehemently a, in that's favor. That's a very different question than than how you really feel. Okay, write down a plus or a minus. I would say. Okay, so so plus is I want I wish I was pro. Uh-huh. Minus is I wish I was con. Yeah. It's possible we both write down the same symbol here. It is. Uh-oh, you're writing a lot. This is like that moment on Jeopardy when someone is just <laughs> writing and writing and writing during final. And yeah. you're like, what are they writing? It's, I'm, I'm, drawing, I'm drawing a dick, but it will only be revealed when, <laughs> it's, when, when it's asked how much I've wagered. Yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, I will say that, that heads is positive. It's the pro side. And... Uh, and our greatest generation logo is the con side. Okay. And so I'm going to be flipping for you. Okay. So there's no shenanigans. <laughs> You're watching me too. You, you've I'm... got the you got the video feed on. Here we go. <laughs> it actually coin... rolled. It rolled under the guest room bed. I've got to go get it. <laughs> this is going great. Uh, Adam is now on the floor of the guest room slash podcast studio. All right, Ben. I picked it up and I haven't looked at it. I've, I've, okay. I've sort of clamshelled it between my hands. I'm going to take the upper clamshell hand off. All right. And I'm going to tell you what I see. Lay it on me, baby. All right. Your job. This episode is to argue for the pro. Okay. There's Kevin wow. Uxbridge there. I am I am officially pro Times Orphan. The uh, one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever made. Kevin Uxbridge, uh, known for being uh, like the most positive alien we've ever run into, <laughs> just a man uh, who's like just bubbly with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, a man enjoying his life and and everything about it. A man so overcome with positivity that he turns into a being of pure energy. <laughs> the thing I didn't get to tell you was uh, <laughs> just how happy I am. <laughs> I'm a one woman man. I've, I've, tr- I've been trying to tell you that from the start. And Rashan's great and all, but I'm, also, I'm an extrovert. I wanted to hang out with other people. <laughs> Do you know how hard this has been? <laughs> Some could say that I loved the Hoosnack too much. The thing that I detested about the Hoosnack most was just how negative they were. <laughs> about everything. Huge I, bummers, the Hoosnack were. I tried to fix that by hugging all of them. <laughs> But I hugged them so hard. I had no idea what I was doing. I really lennied the hooshnack. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, do you want to get into Times Orphan Season 6, Episode 24? I I wish we weren't, Ben. One of the worst episodes, I would say. Wow. Wow. Already, already in character. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Ben, I one really of the, missed Keiko. Yeah, I was wondering who the hell Miles was waking up with. I thought, <laughs> you know, for a moment I was like, finally, he's moving on. I don't remember whatever happened to Keiko, but this is healthy. Uh, he definitely has a type if that's not Keiko. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, but uh, uh, it was a it was a breath of fresh Mr. air. Mr. O'Brien, I, am, <laughs> I was very happy to read your five star review of the Keiko doll. <laughs> nice to have her back. Nice to have Molly back. I like. I nearly forgot about uh, Kira Yoshi. Uh, so did I. Like totally came as a as a pleasant, delightful surprise. Uh, they are. They're back on the station because the the war has uh, presumably died down somewhat. They've reopened Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it feels like they're reopening early. Yeah, it could be could be dangerous to to go out just yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, like this is an episode about uh, optimism for the future, I suppose. So, uh, which I'm all about, <laughs> right? I don't know. I mean, I, it would have been... Here's the reason why we forgot about Keiko. It's because Miles never mentions her in the, what, like 20 previous episodes that she's been gone? I mean, I guess yeah. he mentions Keiko in that episode where he goes undercover with the uh, with the mobsters, right? I have a girlfriend. He's been faithful to Keiko despite lots of opportunities not to be. You get no credit for doing the right thing, Ben. No, yeah. You never do. He's having that experience with Molly that uh, that I have every time I see my brother-in-law's new puppy, which is like, I cannot believe this is the same dog. It is double the size as last time I saw it. Molly's, Molly's growing up. can't believe how much she's grown since I saw her last. Look who's talking. She has not grown up to the extent that she knows not to just enter her parents' bedroom <laughs> unannounced. She could yeah. have seen... Uh, she could have seen the haggis on accident. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately, she has spared that that mental image that would have been with her for the rest of her life. And uh, she's very excited because it's picnic day. Oh, well, we better get going then. Keiko uh, packs a picnic with no hog, though, because uh, <laughs> she has encouraged Miles to go on a diet in, in a pretty damaging kind of, uh, I mean... She kind of body shames Miles O'Brien here. It's not well, nice. Well, that's true. I know, but they're but they're a married couple. She loves him. She wants him to be healthy. You're arguing that she's doing this from a a place of positivity, like like she wants him to be better by rubbing circles around his rotund <laughs> belly and <laughs> and saying you've really gained a few while I've been gone. That that would I, never work in the other direction, Ben. I agree. I think uh, you know some of these things are uh, you know there's a. This show is a product of its time. Mm. I also think that like there are uh, there are fewer like cultural valences attendant to it when it goes the other way, you know? Yeah. This picnic trip, this picnic trip to Golana seems like a thing that would happen all the time if you're a Starfleet, right? Like This is a day a day of trip, right? Like they get mm-hmm. on the shuttle and fly there for presumably lunch that day. So if this Golana Four, I would do this close. all the time. Yeah, it's inside the the Bajoran system for sure. Golana Four looks awesome. I don't know if this was my feed or what, but I found the resolution of the planet really pixelated and bad. Am I having internet problems? Because I yeah, I, didn't, I think I you're didn't... having internet problems. Okay, all right. Well, I didn't I didn't think the episode was as crystal clear as it usually is. So maybe hey, Adam, try to do that. Try criticizing the episode on its merits as a story, maybe, and not the way the transfer went. 
when uh, when the film footage went to the digital transfer house. Maybe I should unplug and replug in my router while we're doing the show just to sort of clear <laughs> things out. You you, you want to pull a Roderick? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is uh, this is a thing I would do all the time, Ben. The the day trip to a planet just to picnic there. Yeah. And and the planet looks uh, every bit like the the Malibu outdoor <laughs> playset that that we've gotten dozens of times before. It's it's beautiful. It's a verdant pasture with trees on the hillsides, and there's a entrance to some Star Trek caves nearby. They're having a great time. O'Brien is on the picnic blanket, and he's making promises. He's making promises about uh, never again sending his family away if things get dangerous. Keiko's like, how can you make a promise like that? And Miles O'Brien's like, well, uh, because if the war pops up again, I'm asking for a transfer. What? You can do that? (laughs) (laughs) I wonder how that works. Like, like we've talked a lot about like what life might be like in the parts of the Federation that are not Starfleet. When you're at war, do they conscript soldiers in the Federation? Or is it an all-volunteer army fighting the Jem'Hadar? I mean, this is an interesting question, right? If you were to consider the consequences of that on board something like a ship full of families... For example, a a galaxy-class starship. I mean, imagine what would happen if the Big D were engaged in a battle and all of a sudden much of his crew decided that, uh, you know, maybe this is too dangerous for families and I'd like off this ship. Separating the saucer is the requesting a transfer of galaxy-class life. You know, we referred to statisticians in our audience before. I would like to know the ratio of (laughs) battles the Enterprise got in to times they separated the saucer. (laughs) I don't think they took advantage of that ability like they could have. Yeah. I mean, that's something that we talked about a lot when we were reviewing TNG. It'd be cool if there was a part of the space station that came off and flew away. They, like, in reality, in quote-unquote reality, they would have separated the saucer so much that the locking mechanism that holds the saucer on, like, they would have been worn. Like, you, you, <laughs> like, couldn't, you couldn't make a good seal after a certain amount of time between the right. saucer and the star drive. Yeah, it gets a little bit loose, and then you have to have, like, a locksmith come out and, right. and rejigger it. Do you have any, like, credentials or, like, a license to be a locksmith that you could just show us? No, the only thing you need to be a locksmith is you gotta want it. Molly runs off. She's uh, she's playing around. Yoshi is uh, being cute and distracting mom and dad. So they are caught unawares when Molly starts calling out for help. Molly? And it turns out that she has gone into these Star Trek caves. Classic blunder. And is literally hanging by her fingertips on the edge of a pit. And, you know, Miles reaches out to try and to try and pull her up and she slips and he watches her fall into like Ghostbusters goo. If you like the first set piece in the movie Cliffhanger, I bet <laughs> you love this cold open. And I did. I loved I loved Cliffhanger. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that movie. Wouldn't kick that movie out of bed, uh, but but I think my problem with the scene is everything about how Molly ended up hanging on the side of the cliff by her fingertips. What happened? 
Was she doing well, cartwheels all the way into the into the cave? <laughs> I think we can only assume that she was doing cartwheels into the cave. Golden Cotton. So the Bajor sector, Adam, is lousy with time travel devices. We yeah. know this. Yeah. This is a well-established truth about Bajor. People are time traveling there all the time. And it, it's no surprise that uh, one of the outlying planets would also have a time travel device. This is the device left by a civilization from thousands of years ago. And it was on for all that time, but Molly falling through it turned it off. This would be so irritating if I were like an ancient Bajoran or an Iaconian or something. Like, you got to turn it off before you leave. <laughs> yeah, last one out shuts the lights. Come yeah. on. If your civilization is dying off, do everyone a favor. <laughs> you know what? People are people are going to make assumptions about how wasteful we are. <laughs> Someone left the thermostat on for 3,000 years. <laughs> Look at this bill. Who's going to pay this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this is how accidents happen. You leave on the time portal, and and it's dangerous yeah. for anyone that follows. It's a great start to a great episode because the, um, the what could be more motivating for a character than the loss of a child? Oh yeah, it's one of the reasons why you see so many episodes about the loss of children in Star mm-hmm. Trek. Just a rich tapestry of <laughs> feelings and. And, and challenges for our favorite characters. It's and such great. an evocative setup, too, because it's a technical problem. And the chief can throw his great technical prowess into trying to save his daughter. I, this scene is hilarious to me because, like, we basically cut to Starfleet's just swarming this thing. And everyone's talking <laughs> in hushed voices. Like, Kira and Dax are like, so what exactly happened? And Dax is like... You know, the, you know the story, Kira? Chronoton particles. It's some sort of time portal. You idiot. <laughs> Everyone knows that. And then, weirdly, it cuts to the bridge of the Enterprise E. <laughs> yeah. It's time travel. And the reason they're keeping their voices down is because O'Brien has been there the whole time. Like, he's working the problem, too. And so is Keiko, like, with a babe in arms is yeah. down there. And that's a dangerous spot because like stuff is, is exploding all around them. Miles does not have his mind totally on his work because stuff is exploding that he's turning wrenches on. Did you think that those glowing spheres that he was messing with were the like power sources that were left behind by the ancient civilization? It feels like there is a break in the continuity because we're, we were just in this cave. We saw yeah. what the gate looked like, and now uh, it doesn't look anything at all like like what we saw before. What are you talking about? It's a, it's a trapezoidal stargate, Adam. I just mean its location in the cave. I don't know. Mm. It, it, it looked a little weird to me, and, and, it, and it's light enough to move. That's fun. Like we could have yeah. seen where, <laughs> where a couple of crew people like get a shoulder under it and start moving it around. <laughs> I would be really worried that this 300-year-old thing would break if I started to move it around. Right. The plan is pretty is pretty ingenious though. There's, you know, if they can turn this thing back on, it's it's going to be a portal to the same time and place. So, presuming that that is possible, they can just shoot a transporter beam through it looking for Molly's DNA signature and they'll be able to pull her out. Easy as that. 
there's a lot that needs to be fixed, a lot that needs to be calibrated, and uh, this gives Miles and Keiko an opportunity to have a little conversation, um, which I thought was crucial for kind of setting the tone of how terrible this is for them. Like, what a panic, a sustained panic they've been in for hours. Miles, I'm getting scared. You've been at it all day. Try to imagine, like, the grocery store that you've lost your child in spans not only space, but time. <laughs> like She's like, in the cereal aisle 300 years ago. <laughs> I mean, you could ask the manager to put a call out on the PA, but I mean, that's not going to help. <laughs> I'm sorry, ma'am. The PA system only works in the now time. We also get a scene where Kira has taken Kiriyoshi up to the little D, and this is kind of there's a big B story about Dax and Worf looking after Kiriyoshi for the rest of the episode, and this scene almost is is. You know, it all it, it complicates that fact because Kira is sort of Kiriyoshi's second mom. Right. You know, like they have a really strong connection. And the scene is mainly there to kind of pose the question of like, what are you looking for long term between the new couple of Kira and Odo? <laughs> this moment goes totally uninterrogated for the rest of the episode because... When we cut back to Odo's face after Kira's like, I think I might want to have one of my own someday. <laughs> it's yeah. it's totally like, bong. <laughs> and Odo's I, like, if you want a child so much, look down at my leg. <laughs> there. Now it's a baby. <laughs> I wondered, like, does Odo, because I think that you can interpret that one of a couple of ways. Like, is Odo wondering in that moment, like, can I even do that with her? Or does he know already? Can Odo what? shoot? I don't know. I mean, if if a you know if a Klingon and a and a human can can make a baby, it seems like a lot of things are possible. <laughs> do you think when Odo was briefly corporeal, like he uh, he shot some samples <laughs> into? Some... I made a couple of deposits in the <laughs> sperm bank on the station. Setting it aside for such time as <laughs> what? What would his genetic structure be? Because his face didn't change. Like his you, genetics must be really strange, right? You know, I made that mistake only once when I <laughs> reached into my refrigerator, and never again. You'll have to forgive me, Odo. Of course, it was the same color as you are when you revert to your gelatinous state. <laughs> Who could sue me for making the mistake that I made, <laughs> assuming it was a different bodily substance? You'll be happy to know that I did not swallow. <laughs> I spat it back. There is some concern that my DNA is now mixed in there. <laughs> How fucking magical would it be if if that is called back and Odo is like, yeah, banked it. <laughs> ready when you are Kira get out the turkey baster daddy's ready to go 
Yeah, but instead, this is just a uh, shot reverse shot B story element. And Ben, like this entire B story I read was shot after the fact. They wow. shot. They intended for this to be just a A story bottle episode, and they came up like. Nine minutes short or something, no and they kidding. shot the entire B story after the fact. Wow! Isn't that nuts? Now that is excellent filmmaking. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the thing. Like that's it's. I believe it, but also it's unbelievable. Like there is a math that you do when you're writing a script that draws an equivalency be- between pages and minutes, and this is a show that's done it for almost seven seasons. 26 yeah. episodes a piece or whatever. You would think that they would have that dialed in. I'm shocked that they they missed the target that wide. Amazing. That's, that's amazing. Well, maybe they missed the target by like three minutes, but there was also like a six minute scene of O'Brien like working out and, <laughs> you know, and like trying to like do a plant based diet to impress his wife. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Uh, yeah, take out all the wharf stuff. Give me give me the O'Brien getting ripped montage. I lost a bunch of weight last year and my wife wishes I would put it back on. That's cool. <laughs> it's great. I wish Very you would, encouraging. I wish you would start smoking again, Ben. <laughs> I liked your voice the other way. Could you go back to drinking a lot of beer? Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my I think we should call this what it is. Like this is a time travel episode. Yeah. And I was begging for them to scan the planet for her remains. For Molly's remains. Why didn't they right. do that? Or like find archaeological evidence of her. There's an there's a moment where they're like, "Okay, Odo, go do the research." you know, with the archives to see what the gate is. And I fully expected Odo to come back with a skull and be like, here she is. <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry chief. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like you could do that and and it would still all work, right? Because That's what this, I'm saying, yeah. The mechanics of the time travel, unlike our most recent Kira time travel episode, are like very well defined in this episode but only at the end right is it too much like finding data's head in san francisco like would it be too derivative of that i don't think so i don't know but yeah they uh they reactivate the stargate temporal field reestablished. they they activate the transporter beam they get the lock and a cave girl basically materializes on the platform this is molly at age 18 uh, has and she has totally gone feral. She's Crow Magmolly. <laughs> <laughs> See, how can you be against this episode, Adam? One of the very first movies I ever watched as a film studies major was uh, Truffaut's The Wild Child. Did you ever see that movie? I did not. Got real wild child vibes from this one. So uh, things do not go well when... Cro-Magmolly materializes on the pad. Uh, she is not gentle with anyone during the reunion. She goes right in for a bite of O'Brien's forearm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sets the yeah, tone. It's a, she, she's like nonverbal. She, she has lost her civilization, as it were. And so we cut uh, up to Six Bay on the little D, and 
the doctor starts to explain there, there's not really like a, a playbook for this because your daughter has spent the last 10 years of her life subjectively in a total wilderness, like having to survive with only her wits. In France, she would be called La Renard, and she would be hunted with only her cunning to protect her. And no human stimulation to, you know, cultivate her linguistic skills or anything else. So uh, this is going to be a process. You're going to, you've got, you've suddenly got an 18-year-old daughter who needs to be like brought up to speed on the 24th century. And, uh, and that's just the burden you're going to have to bear as her parents. This was my favorite thought experiment in the episode happens here where Keiko's like, well, cool, let's send her back through the portal and then retrieve eight-year-old Molly again. Like, this one's a, this one's a dead. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what's the problem with that? And Bashir says, if you do that, you, you effectively kill 18-year-old Molly. And in that moment, I yeah. was like, what's the difference? It's such an interesting argument of, of temporal morality that I wish they, right. I wish we lived in this argument a little bit longer because to argue either side of this, I think would have been a fascinating exercise. Like, like, are you really killing a future person by restoring them to their past? Aren't they exactly the same person? Are you at, at giving additional value to an older person versus a younger person? And why, if you are like so many questions. Yeah, I think that uh, if you if you want to see those questions asked and answered, you're going to want to watch the Tuvix episode of Star Trek Voyager. Oh, the the classic Tuvix episode that everyone loves. <laughs> yeah, that one. We should do that episode next. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I was Pe- people would fucking carry us out of town on a rail if we if we just did the Tuvix episode next. Hey, man, it doesn't take much anymore. so i was on team keiko here and i remained on team keiko throughout they should have shoved her back through the portal i mean i think that in the episode's defense the idea that she has gained 10 years of life experience is pretty compelling and keiko is asking for them to erase the person that that happened to so that she can have the person that she wants back. And I think that there is like a questionable morality to that. Yeah, but Dr. Bashir doesn't feel issues of questionable morality. He lobotomized <laughs> Kern and he yeah. didn't lose a, a wink of sleep over it. Well, maybe maybe he's uh, maybe he's trying to like be a better man now, Adam. Did you ever consider that? If you had only sent me through a Bajoran <laughs> time portal... I could have avoided the lobotomy that came later. Think of a person who would be better suited to live on a deserted planet 300 years in the past. I'll wait. (laughs) Name a more iconic duo than (laughs) Kern on a deserted planet. (laughs) Yeah, man. That'd be super fun. Also, like... Who knows more about being de-evolved on the station than Worf? They should have involved Worf right here and now. Like if someone's oh, gonna, yeah. if someone knows what it's like to adjust to both de-evolving and then evolving again, he's been through it all. Evolving, yeah, yeah. Uh, I bring up Worf because uh, he is the B story. He and Dax are on babysitting duty for young Yoshi, and. Uh, 
Worf comes home and it's like time for Dax to do work. And Worf's like, well, I can watch Yoshi. It's cool. And Dax is like, you're not exactly great with kids. And then for some reason, Worf uses Alexander as an example of how great he is at being a father. (laughs) I don't think that example means what you think it means, Worf. I raise Alexander. That's different. I think that in Worf's defense, he tried very hard with Alexander. Nobody tried harder with Alexander than Worf. No, I mean, that's true. We can agree on that. No one tried harder than Worf. Worf didn't try that hard. (laughs) I'll concede that one point, okay? They've turned the cargo bay into a kind of hamster pen where, like, there's a log and a big rock and a giant water bottle for the feral Molly to interact with and mm-hmm. uh, and climb all around on. Put him in a mayonnaise jar <laughs> with a stick and a leaf to recreate what he's used to. Glad they had the cargo space for this. The Enterprise-D had an arboretum. The Deep Space Nine space station has a cargo-retum. <laughs> they also uh, combed and, and flat-ironed Molly's hair, which is nice. <laughs> Yeah, she got she got styled while she was asleep, apparently, and made up. Um, she yeah. wakes up amidst a lot of artifice. She sees this rock and it, uh, and you know, reaches out and touches it, and you can just see this is a fake rock wash over her face. And then she looks up, and her parents are there. Uh, Chief O'Brien and Keiko are are standing there, you know, doing the like we're not going to hurt you, but standing at a distance thing. And, uh, and they've brought her some millet. This is, I, I guess, a, a type of fruit that is native to Galana, which is where she was marooned. <laughs> Molly looks down and she's like, why are my legs shaved? <laughs> <laughs> there was a moment where she looks at her own arms and it made me wonder if what she was processing was that she was clean. Did you get that? Like, and how strange that had to be? Yeah, um... Yeah, I think that there's a lot of really great subtle stuff like that in this episode. I think the actor who plays uh, older Molly does a really good job at like, I think the trap here is like, you could really nail this one up in a way that like doesn't work. And I think she she pulls back from going the full nail with it. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, this is uh, Michelle uh, Kruziak who's an actor who is still working. She's in, the, uh, she's in that show Hollywood on, uh, on Netflix. Whoa, no way. That's great. Yeah, she's, uh, she's in four episodes of that. I always like clicking on an actor's official website. Uh-huh. The official websites for actors are always so fun. They're made with like whatever the equivalent of Squarespace was right. like in 1998. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's it exactly. <laughs> but they're but they're still like figuring out ways to like embed YouTube clips and stuff. I would say nine out of ten actors' websites you still see like digging GIF on a road sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, appearances, and then like that part is like under construction and has been for the last six years. Right. They approach her like the 
feral person she is, like like a person who has only moments ago bitten Miles O'Brien in the arm. Like I think <laughs> they're using a fair amount of caution here. Yeah. But they what they have is a dolly for her. Uh, this dolly that she should recognize and does. I mean, I think you make a great point, right? Like the fair the feralness of her is something that they had to decide at some point. Like, mm-hmm. is she going to be semi-verbal? Is she going to have her mind arrested at eight years old? Is this dolly going to mean the same thing to her now or not? Are all, like, interesting questions. And I, I wonder, like, how you even research an episode like this if you're... If there's like source material you can lean on. I mean, it was my understanding that they did do that research and like actually worked with child psychologists to get it right. Wow. Which is, I mean, which is surprising given the track record of a show that, you know, chooses to be interested in the, <laughs> in the reality of, of yeah. moments like just sort of, you know, when it suits them. Right. I hope they didn't. I hope their child psychologist expert wasn't the same expert that they had to uh, consult on Native American portrayals in Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. For example, where are the caseworkers at this point? Was a question I had because I mean, the doctor isn't around. The doctor just sort of trusts that Miles and Keiko are going to take care of this one. And I love that about the episode that they are parents that believe in their in their ability to reconnect with with this child. They don't want some pencil neck telling them what to do. They want to they want to do this themselves. They want to do the hard work. You know, one That's aspect That's what's good about this episode, Adam. <laughs> this this is a show that chooses to to hurt Miles O'Brien so often. This is a ball, buddy. Bollocks. You know, I wonder if if one of the ways they considered and then scrapped as a way to do that was to present the idea that, you know, how much could an eight-year-old Molly recognize her father anyway with how rarely she sees him? (laughs) And, like, I could laugh about that too, Ben, but also, like, in in an episode like this, like, how, how hurtful would it be for her to start to recognize Keiko first and not Miles because right. of the choices that Miles made in the years and seasons leading up to this moment. Like the the aspect of Miles O'Brien being a regretful absentee father who made choices, you know, for their protection comes, it cuts both ways, right? Like these are reasonable yeah. choices yeah. that he's made, but they have consequences too. And, and that could have been one of them. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's like a, a an interesting story to tell, the the like pain of seeing a good faith decision you made turned against you would be tough. But uh, but that's not the that's not the story that they're trying to tell here. It always is, Ben. <laughs> Molly is making a a kind of ball pit for her dolly. In yeah. a fun way. She's just not getting it. She's not good at sharing. If, yeah. if I mean, Keiko was a primary school teacher. I feel like Molly's grades at this point need improvement. Molly is like my character in Skyrim. <laughs> like it takes very long to get across the across the overworld because she's collected too many items and <laughs> can't can't uh, can't bring herself to give any of them up. Yeah. Brief interstitial here between Dax and Worf. 
which doesn't really matter, does it? Worf is night nursing Yoshi. Yoshi's uh, Yoshi's crying late at night, and and Worf is the one that's that's staying up. It's great. It's modeling uh, being an active participant in the rearing of a child for men who need that. I have pulled Yoshi to my bosom, and yet he does not sleep. <laughs> he feels uh, judged by Dax, and this is a thing that I feel like is familiar to you and me, Ben, which is like you are fighting a battle in your mind with uh, with a person you're close to that isn't actually happening. Right. And you're projecting yeah. the, 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 the terms of this battle in the moment on that person. He expresses that his whole interest in looking after Yoshi is to demonstrate a prowess at child rearing to Dax to, you know, make her comfortable with the idea that she has married him. And at every turn, she's like, I don't need to be reassured with regards to that. I married you. Like, I knew what I was signing up for. The minute I met Tony, I knew who that guy was. Yeah, man. There was something very familiar about these moments to me. Yeah. That's like the kind of insecurity that Worf is great at expressing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, if there's one good thing about the B story, I think it was that familiarity with that moment. I think there's something to be gained from experiencing that through Worf and Dax's relationship. They make a bit of a breakthrough with Crow Mag Molly surrounding a hairbrush, which uh, she is very interested in uh, in Keiko's hairbrush when she pulls it out. And uh, I thought that that was a, a really touching detail because I imagine I don't have a little girl with long hair, but I imagine that that's like a big part of their day every day, getting their hair brushed out. And, right. and that that would be like a very familiar object to a kid that hasn't seen one in 10 years. And a sense memory too. It, it feels good to have your hair brushed. Yeah, to get fussed over a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the next scene is basically O'Brien and... Bashir walking down the hallway and O'Brien's like, this is going great. We're going to have her talking and in no time, she's going to probably be applying to college this time next year. Well, just be careful not to push it too hard, Miles. If she gets frustrated, she might withdraw and relapse into her old behavior pattern. My problem with this scene is why is Chief O'Brien going to work? How does he not have time off to take care of this situation? <laughs> Did he use up all it? Like, was the, the last of his vacation time spent on that picnic? Because that was a bad use of your vacay time yeah. there, Miles. You, you would hope that uh, that Cisco would give him a little bit of leeway uh, in a situation like this. but Yeah, it turns out O'Brien's going to need Cisco's leeway a little later. Yeah, he doesn't want to use it up just yet. Yeah. Bashir in this scene, like, cautions Chief O'Brien not to get overconfident here, not to push her. And then they uh, they come into Worf's quarters and, and uh, find that Worf has been teaching Yoshi uh, a Klingon art called Hektop, which is a uh, hand-eye coordination technique that is taught to little babies so that they'll be good warriors when they grow up big and tall. Oh, I get it. The rattle is like uh, the baby's first batleth kind of thing. The evidence for Yoshi's advancement in this area is splattered all over the walls because he has killed their cat. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He acquitted himself well. But honestly, I mean, I'm not supposed to be arguing this side, but I'm going to dabble a little bit. Like, it's it's like devil's advocacy. Uh You're you're a little bit verse- I think one of the things this episode does well is like 
I was feeling the tension of the violence that was going to happen. Like I could just feel that that feral Molly was going to either kill the cat or seriously injure one of her parents or hurt herself in a major way. And it takes so long to get there. We come back to the cargo bay where she's having a total freak out and saying that she wants to go home. And Miles and Keiko interpret this as she wants to go to their apartment. So they take her there and the cat is there. And I was like (laughs) very concerned that she was going to like kill and attempt to like spit roast the cat. Yeah, I felt the same way. Instead, she rips a bodice she found in her old closet. Yeah. Crucially, a bodice that's not on anyone. So it's not, it doesn't mean the same thing. You know what? Uh, like there's an economy to this scene that I didn't consider until this moment, Ben, because it's been so long since we've seen Molly. I bet none of these clothes that she's destroying would fit her anymore anyway. Go ahead oh, and tear yeah, them up. <laughs> we were going to donate those, but uh, you do you. Right. She finds a picture of them, though, and uh, this is uh, presumably a picture that they took while they were on the picnic because <laughs> it, it's a picture of the uh, of the place that they had the picnic, and that's where she really wants to go. Right. She doesn't consider this apartment to be home. And this is going to be easy to solve for because Miles and Keiko are like, let's just make Galana on the holosuite. And Quark, Quark is like, cool, how much sex do you want to have there? Miles and Keiko are like, no, it's not that kind of Galana. He's got a a variety of different Galana games to choose from, Uh and they just they pick the most PG-rated version, right? Uh, But this this makes Molly extremely happy, and they are walking around in this field while she just giggles and runs and jumps and hangs from trees. She's delighted. I feel like this is an acting challenge. That yeah. uh, that the actor who plays Cro-Mag Molly really pulls off. Like, this is not ham and cheese. This is just, like, pure joy. Right. There's something very challenging about depicting a character that has, like, extremely limited verbal skills without making them look dumb or, like, we're making fun of that character. That is the line, yeah. And I never felt like that. Yeah. Unfortunately, like, this good feeling can't be felt forever because uh, there's been kind of a line. There's a lineup outside the hollow suite. What's going on in there? Just a minute. And a couple yeah. of Klingon fellas have got next up. They've got their quarters on the door. <laughs> Listen, we just really want to kill some like guys with turtle faces and skull faces. So uh, if you guys could move it along, that would be great. Computer and program does not go well, Enterprise, <laughs> because as soon as... As fake Galana goes away, uh, Molly has a breakdown, and it is spectacular. It's a tantrum that spills out of the hollow suites and into the bar. She um, she Walter Sobchek's Quark's ear as uh, as she comes out, and uh, that like I I kind of wish we'd seen a chunk of it go flying across the room, right? Uh, and it, like Patui, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but she like she fights her way through the bar. She like shoves a bunch of people down the steps, and then she bottle stabs a guy on her way out the door. And then Odo has a Bajoran security guy shoot her. On stun. On stun. But <laughs> Odo looks over at, at the Bajoran security guy, and he's like, 
Shoot her! <laughs> <laughs> because up until this moment, uh, Cro-Magmolly has been like testing yeah. the, uh, the perimeter defenses of the hollow suite for weaknesses. Yeah. When she looks at you, you can see she's working things out. Odo has a uh, McLaughlin group Issue one. with Cisco and O'Brien, and he says, I think we need to institute the lysine contingency. <laughs> it's it's not so much the Cro-Magmolly in front of you. <laughs> it's the two Cro-Magmollys you don't see attacking from the side. <laughs> I'm, I'm just concerned that she might be too clever of a girl for station safety. More, more, more. I thought this was kind of chicken shit of Odo. Like, for, for A, Odo not to either shoot Molly himself or to become, like, the non-lethal weapon that he could be. Like, he could, he could like, net her and, right. like, and, and take her to the floor or something. Totally. We haven't seen that effect in a long time. It must be expensive. I was thinking about that today that, you know, they... They do that thing, I think, in episode one where somebody tries to, like, punch him in the face and his head goes gold and he, like, mm -hmm. uses uses his goo to flip the guy over. Yeah. And I wonder if they feel like they've just burned that. If they ever do it again, it will seem like they've rung the bell too many times. I don't know, man. I've got an insatiable hunger for uh, for a Cro-Magmolly taking a broken bottle, sticking it through Odo's torso, and then us cutting to the back of him <laughs> as the bottle is, like, being twisted around. After, yeah. after having gone through him. Give me more of that. Give me enough of that to where I'm tired of it. And I'm not tired mm. of it yet. Yeah. Leave him wanting more. That's the <laughs> that's the art of good television, Adam. Unfortunately, the guy she stabbed with the bottle is pressing charges and Odo can't talk him out of it. He cannot. Um, Molly does not respond well to being in a... Uh, in a holding cell, she's uh, she's doing that thing where she just runs up against the force field over and over again. This is the moment where I started to feel very sad for her. Like, there's really no hope for Crow Magmali at this point, and 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 the whole feeling of the episode is the same. Like, Bashir's demeanor changes. I think I think Miles and Keiko get it at this point, and that's yeah. before they're told that the Federation is going to be involved, and that's like the final straw. Like, they're going to be made to. Abandon the child. <laughs> I abandoned my girl. <laughs> O'Brien, all he wanted really to do was to drink someone else's milkshake and now look uh -huh. at him. You know? <laughs> yeah, and to make matters worse, uh, the situation is not great for their other kid either. <laughs> Kiri Yoshi has, uh, has been over in the... Worf Dax quarters, bonking his head, presumably on the uh, on the little table that Worf keeps his suicide poison vials. Mm. You know, everybody is there to say, like, little kids bonk their heads. It's fine. They run around, they bonk. But Worf is really beating the shit out of himself over this. You and I famously are both childless, uh, yeah. but we, I think, are fortunate to have plenty of good friends with kids that, uh, that we'll play with from time to time. Yeah. Super fun. But man... I totally felt what war felt like when a oh, yeah. when a kid when a kid in your care hurts themselves it is the worst feeling in the world. I have uh uh my my friend's daughter I was visiting them on vacation a few years ago and we were doing the thing where I was like 
I was like swinging her in a circle and she you nursemaid I, yeah she got the her? nursemaid elbow thing and it was like it's like yeah. I felt like dog shit for a week and everybody was like no it's like it, it's a thing that happens to kids it was over like yeah. like we like we took her to a doctor and they fixed it and it was fine and I'd never I, I've never not felt bad about it I think back on it right now I feel terrible yeah yeah our uh one of our friends did the same thing to uh to one of our friends kids it's and like and you, you, and you never talked to them again right no yeah they were ostracized yeah rightfully yeah that's the, that's what happened to me also yeah. uh, <laughs> uh Worf sees this as as an example of of him being an utter failure as a parent yeah this is almost like the the last straw yeah i thought it was uh, amazing that an episode that's so focused on something else could find a way to make that point. Worf is a terrible parent, you know? <laughs> finally, we have confirmation. <laughs> and finally, he has some insight into that. Right. I failed Alexander. I failed Kiryoshi. And I would have failed our children as well. Miles and Keiko are post-gaming this, and it seems like they're ready to give up. Until Keiko kind of draws out the idea that maybe Miles isn't giving up. Maybe Miles has a secret plan he's ready to hatch. Yeah. A plan that, that goes like stealing a runabout and taking Crow Magmolly down to euthanize her in the time portal. <laughs> <laughs> That's a euthanizer. It's to it's to send her where she wants to go, Adam. And and, that, and where she is safe from from the you know institutions that want to enforce. A, oh yeah, she's going to be very safe all alone on a deserted planet where where all she has is, is sharpened sticks to defend herself. <laughs> that's that's great. Yeah. Hey, listen, she's, she's safe. she survived there as an eight year old. It can't be that dangerous of a place. This scene and this plan is not specific enough, and the reason that I went there with my description of it is that you can't you can't argue that that's not what they're taking her to go do like her her fate is sealed should they put her back in the time portal yeah they're gonna maroon her in the past to protect her from the present and uh they they do have to commit a crime to do it uh, in in breaking her out of out of jail and uh they get they get the go-ahead from Odo in the hallway. Like, a Federation security guy catches them, and Odo comes down and he's like, all right, <laughs> you two kids get along. This is a very rewarding scene because I feel like the show doesn't often pay off a long-term relationship in this way with such efficiency. Yeah. Odo's, Odo's like, I know you, O'Brien, and I know what you're capable of, and I would have expected uh, a, a better plan than this. Like, yeah. he expected a foolproof escape plan. I love that moment. Yep. And, uh, and he knows that what O'Brien is doing is, you know, closer to justice than what uh, O'Brien is trying to prevent. So it's, it's very true to Odo's character, too, like the... Uh, you know, on the side of justice, not the letter of the law thing that he One aspires th to. Another thing that we can agree is that is totally true is that Starfleet is totally uninterested in guarding anything time travel related because <laughs> uh, when O'Brien gets back down to the time gate, no one's there. 
Yeah, all the stuff it's is totally still plugged deserted. in. They're able to turn it back on. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah. Well, what they like, what they cut out the the nine minutes that they cut out was them standing in the line of people waiting to uh, to go kill Hitler and stuff. I love that O'Brien had to get through no more than two security people on the station to get to the runabout and zero security people at the time portal. Yeah. They say a tearful goodbye to Crow Mag Molly. They give her a Manhattan portage shoulder bag, presumably full of some provisions that she may find useful in, uh, in the life she is returning to. Wouldn't it have been rad if they gave her a phaser? Like, oh, Yeah. I want to know. I want to know Molly's everyday carry. Yeah, yeah. Based, based on the size of that bag. What's in the kit? Is there like yeah. a is there like a flat pack replicator in there? This ties back into that question of whether or not this is euthanasia or not. Mm-hmm. Like, how much of a chance are they are they willing to give her? I would argue that if they're good parents, they're going to stuff that bag with everything she could possibly need. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing they did. Yeah. Molly expresses maybe the most complex uh, verbal thing that she expresses in the entire episode, which is... Molly loves you. And then walks through the portal. Old Molly goes through the time portal, sees young Molly on the other side, touches her, and then destroys the universe. <laughs> it's it's back actual to Back to the Future mechanics. It's, it's actual... This is what confused me so much about the documentary about Deep Space Nine is that they never refer to this moment. No, yeah, this uh, it was like a pretty insane way to end the series, I think. Yeah, but I think very real given what we know about time paradoxes, right? Right, yeah. The time-space continuum cannot abide two, char- two people who are the same touching each other. Uh, yeah. No, but uh, she she's she's getting ready to send eight year old Molly back through the portal, and we're cutting back to the other side where Chief O'Brien is getting out a phaser and getting ready to destroy this thing, to like fully seal Molly behind the portal, and older Molly gives younger Molly her dolly and like gestures for the portal. And she's about halfway through when the chief shoots the portal and she is cut in half and her <laughs> and her lower torso falls to the f- to the ground in front of Miles and Keiko. <laughs> and uh, and we cut to credits. So so Miles half bobs his daughter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's actually it's Bob half when it's the lower half that, that <laughs> yeah. survives. Right. We, like, we established that on the hit podcast. Friendly fire. Yeah. Did you understand fully why Miles needed to destroy the portal? Was it to prevent anyone from going and and bringing Molly back? Yeah. Yeah, that was the that was the logic of it. The excellent logic of it, Adam. Because this is a good episode yeah. that is flawless. I don't know. So young Molly comes through. We're made to understand that that these were moments, right? Young Molly was on the other side for a moment of her time. I got the feeling that she was there for a long time because she's like gr- grubby and messed up looking. That's what I'm saying. Like the hair, the hair tangle continuity alone would would suggest that she'd been there for quite a while. But I think the the dialogue 
is the thing that suggests that it that it happens almost simultaneously. Yeah. So maybe the part that is the most science fiction, the absolute most unbelievable part of this episode, the part that I just cannot believe was not edited in some way, is that Worf comes home to Dax in their quarters, and he's still mega bummed about what happened to Yoshi. And Dax tells Worf that that very night they've been invited over to dinner at the O'Brien's. The O'Brien's, for some reason, are not too tired for company after recovering <laughs> their time-traveling daughter and going through the stresses of raising Cro-Mag-Molly for, what, like a week to 10 days? Sometimes is... when you've been through a harrowing situation, you want to celebrate when you come out the other side, Adam. If I have recorded two shows in a day, I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to see my wife that night. <laughs> Too tired for that. It, that it just seems unbelievable that that they wouldn't want some alone time with their newly found regular Molly. Wow, I heartily disagree. I think that the O'Briens are 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 just happy uh, to have everyone back together, and they want to uh, they want to fet Worf and Dax for looking after Kiryoshi and teaching him how to. How to do uh, hacked up so well. Is Molly better with company or when you're by yourself? <laughs> I've never done it myself, so. Yeah, me neither. Got questions. Well, the button on the episode is Molly drawing a picture uh, there in the in the quarters and as uh, Brian and Keiko talk over what might have happened on the other side of that portal, how how little Molly knew to go back through. And speculating about how Cro-Mag Molly may have uh, coached her to do so. And then Molly shows her picture, and it's just like the one Cro-Mag Molly drew. Pretty close. Only better, right? Yeah, definitely better. I thought it was interesting that the eight-year-old's version of the picture was, like, more well-executed. Yeah, Cro-Mag Molly's picture fucking sucked. <laughs> it's not good. Do not put that on the fridge. No. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we'll just put that in the drawer, Will Magmolly, <laughs> where all of the things I like the most go. Yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 one drawer in my desk that has a has a a, a lock on it. <laughs> the drawer in my desk that that is plugged into the wall and shredded documents come out at the bottom. <laughs> you really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Adam, you hated this episode. I loved this episode, but we have folded pieces of paper that say which we wanted to argue for on right. this. Are you ready to reveal what you had selected? I sure am. You ready? Yeah. Are we going to do this to each other? Yeah. All right. Three, two, one. We both put <laughs> negatives. <laughs> I think, I think. Negative is, here's the thing about negative. It's always easier to be negative. Right. right. It's it's easier to sport fuck a thing than to to look at the positive. That's why our show's so hard to do. <laughs> uh, but I had a lot of fun doing it, and I always have a lot of fun looking in our priority one message inbox. Do you want to see what we got over there, Adam? Okay. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, we have a couple of P1s here. The first one is from the Gooch. The Gooch. And it's to all F-O-D. 
goes like this. Hi guys, since I'm getting some supplemental income from hazard pay, yeah, it's extra. I thought I'd buy a P1. In this time of stress, I think it would be good for everyone to get along. Hashtag Rascals and Team Plavim can make peace and come together. Just kidding! Go fuck yourself, Plavim. What? <laughs> I, I, I never thought we'd hear from the Rascals or, or Team Plavim ever again. I'm not totally clear on what happened to the whole Plavim Rascals cinematic universe. I feel like this P1 was buried under San Francisco. We uh, we dusted it <laughs> off, and there's a P1. Yeah, except for somehow the Gooch knows about the pandemic, so it can't have been sent back in the back in the heyday of the of the Raz and Plavim conflict. Right. So who knows? Wow. Uh, I I do want to say like uh, hearing the name the Gooch <laughs> made me think of an episode of. Uh, Padma Lakshmi has a food show on Hulu that I've been really enjoying lately. Oh yeah, and there's a there's a Hawaiian gentleman that uh, that she befriends in one of the episodes, and his last name has like it's it's I don't know if it's Yamaguchi or it's like something with Gooch in his last name, uh-huh. and he just goes by the Gooch because when you have Gooch <laughs> as a part of your name, yeah. you are the Gooch. Yeah, I mean that's a, I that's, love it. That's an aspirational way to be. Yeah. Ben, our second priority one message is from Emily the Royal Fizzbin. And if there's two Zs, it's got to be Fitz, right? Like pizza. Emily the Royal Fitzbin. That's how I'll say it. Okay. It's to Nicholas the Shralk. (laughs) The message goes like this. The odds were astronomical. You gave me all the answers to the workplace trivia raffle, but I won the 100 scarves. Wow. Thanks for letting me cheat off you. Sorry you didn't win. <laughs> Was it a Tuesday? I knew this P1 would be a good way to share our winnings. Here's to a continuing friendship of shirking work to chat Star Trek. Fun. Hey, that's that's putting... You know what I like, Ben? Is uh, spending found money frivolously. Yeah. Like uh, just some bullshit. And that's yeah. what uh, Emily did here. Yeah. She bought a round for uh, the people that like Greatest Gen. Good job by Emily. And good job by anyone who gets a P1. Of course, to do that, you go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. And uh, we sure appreciate it. Gotta get that, get that gold press action. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, there's a moment that really stuck out to me this episode, like totally removing all of the mess that is the continuity of uh-huh. this episode just in general. Not the Bajoran security guy, but the Federation security guy that stops Keiko and, uh, and Miles at the entrance to the runabout. Yeah. He's referred to as Jones. Right. He seemed when weird. He, that's what I'm saying. He seemed like a guy who won a contest. <laughs> and I think, and I'm not blaming this on him at all. There's something about how they blocked his scene that made it look like it was a pickup. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's kind of shot from a strange angle that doesn't really match the eye lines from the other side. That's what stuck out to me. I think... Uh, I think that was a pretty difficult situation for him to be in. Uh, the actor is Randy James, and he he plays a lot of uh, uncredited characters on Star Trek. But uh, yeah, tough, 
task yeah. for him to pull off here. He's got 59 appearances in Deep Space Nine, 22 appearances in TNG. He's in Star Trek First Contact. Just uh, an incredible legacy. <laughs> I had to imagine not many speaking parts among them, and this is the speaking part. Wow. I think you got to do better for Randy James is what yeah. I'm saying. I'm telling I'm telling the episode to do that. They did Randy dirty. The thing about uh, Randy Flug, <laughs> the actor who plays this guy, is that he's Miles O'Brien's stand-in. Whoa. That's fun. Randy James is like his actor name. Randy right. Flug is his, uh, is his birth name. Wow. And he's... That's got to be fun. You work with a guy as a stand-in for years and years. You get him on camera. It's got to be a real treat. That's good times. Uh, he looks great from behind. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Randy, I hate to see you go. I, I love to watch you stand in. <laughs> so that, that's my Shimoda. What about you, Ben? Uh, the guy that got stabbed by the bottle. I feel like yeah. I feel like there is a lot, a lot, a lot of imagery in our popular culture of people breaking a bottle with the threat to stab. Mm. And you sometimes see somebody get slashed with a bottle. Yeah. But I can't think of another time I've seen somebody get like impaled on a bottle like that. <laughs> it's it's like the main way I would think of using a broken bottle, though, also. It seems yeah. like that's that's the natural thing to do. Yeah. I would never think to slash with it. It seems like you just break it again. Right. So, uh, so for being the victim of a thing that I've always wondered about, but I can't think of another time I've actually seen uh, getting stabbed with a bottle guy is my drunk Shimoda. <laughs> All right, Ben, uh, we have fallen all the way down on the game of Butthole's Rule of the Prophets. Oh, yeah, we sure square have. square 34, and uh, about this moment in the show is when you usually tell us what episode we're going to watch next. I do do that, and the next episode is season six, episode 25, The Sound of Her Voice. Cisco and the crew race to save a Starfleet captain stranded alone on an oxygen-starved planet. Whoa. Yeah, that's going to be a big one. Yeah, I mean, everyone always talks about the sound of her voice <laughs> as one of the great DS9 apps, right? Of, of season six? No. <laughs> uh, but, I do, I'll tell you but, what I do like are Star Trek stories about captains that we don't know until that episode. That's fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I guess we'll find out if it's going to be a big episode of our show when I roll the dice on the game of buttholes. The Will of the Prophets. We do have a Kanar with Damar uh, out there ahead of us. Like that square. We could hit that, uh, but I think that's the only thing unusual that we could hit. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. So I'm going to go ahead and roll this thing. Chula! <laughs> Did I win? Hardly. Great big roll, Adam. I have rolled a six. We are now on Where? square 40. Making up a lot of the lost time that, that we that we uh, gave up on the last roll, so uh, we will have a regular episode next week. We've got like we've got well we've got twenty eight rolls to make it all the way back up to the power hour. Yeah, 
see if we can do it. We keep we keep stubbing our runabout toe. <laughs> we do. It's brutal. It's brutal. So many things are crazy making right now, Ben. One thing that uh, that has made our lives a lot less crazy is the field promotion of uh, of Bill Tilly to social media management. Uh, you, he's the guy behind our brand new greatest trek twitter feed and, and instagram, uh, and instagram tweet. feed yeah. yeah he's uh he's doing great work over there he's like making gifts he's telling you about like the birthdays of major characters in uh, of the actors who played major characters in the different series he's uh you know retweeting his uh hilarious trading cards it's a lot of fun to follow those accounts so if you're on twitter or instagram follow greatest trek uh, some of the great music you've heard on the show is made by uh, great friend of DeSoto and YouTube food sensation Adam Ragusia. Suggest you go over there and learn how to cook yourself something good or, or grow yourself something good. I saw a, a tomato tutorial yeah. over there. He's growing tomatoes. He's doing soil samples. <laughs> Our show is a different kind of soil sample. Yeah, sure is. The uh, most kind. Give a, give us a couple of bucks. Go to MaximumFun.org slash join. We could really use the help. Sure could. Thanks for that. Thanks for all the five-star reviews uh, you've given us over the years. Check out our, uh, our other shows, The Greatest Discovery and the hit war movie podcast, Friendly Fire. Yeah. And with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine which may introduce us to another coin-worthy captain. Mm. What do you think of the chances? Can't wait. No one's going to dethrone DeSoto. Yeah, DeSoto's the king. You know what? I bet I bet uh, DeSoto could exist on an oxygen-deprived planet, no problem. Yeah, he's very chill. He's not using that much oxygen. <laughs> no, he's just going to relax. He's just going <laughs> to pull up a chair and chill out. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to appreciate the break from hauling his butt back and forth from Starbase to Starbase. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.